and turn with me uh, to 2 Timothy, uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3. We'll be reading that chapter uh, together and then we'll be uh, focusing on verses 16 and 17 uh, as our uh, focus uh, this morning. Uh, You'll remember that here in the month of January, we've been asking some questions together uh, as a congregation uh, to start the new year and also take up ministry uh, together as I join you in ministry here at Faith. Uh, We've looked at a couple questions. What should we be seeking together? Uh, And from Matthew 6, uh, we were told by the Lord Jesus that we are to seek first His kingdom and His righteousness. And uh, then last week we looked at how shall we pray together. Uh, We're to pray for open doors because unless the Holy Spirit opens the door of our hearts uh, or anyone's hearts, the Word will not come through. An open mouth that that we would faithfully speak. And so then this morning we want to consider together where shall we stand together? That is, where do we plant our feet to find a, a foundation for all that we are called to be and to do? And so we read together from 2 Timothy 3. This is the ever-living, ever-abiding Word of God. But understand this, said the Apostle Paul, by the Spirit that in the last days, there will come times of difficulty uh, for people who will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. Avoid such people. For among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Just as Jonas and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also opposed the truth. Men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith, but they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all, as was that of those two men. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured. Yet from them all, the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who... Desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you've learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, And how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped, 
for every, every good work. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, oh, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your Holy Spirit. And we pray now that you would help us today, Lord, to hear, hear this word. Lord, it's easy enough for us to read it from the page, to follow along with our eyes or our ears. But, oh, Lord, we pray that it would not stop there today, uh, that this word, which is truth, which is living and active, uh, would penetrate uh, our hearts and minds, wherever we are this morning, no matter our age or where we've come from, that you would uh, bring that word to bear within. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, have you ever asked yourself uh, the question, uh, what do I really know uh, for certain? Uh, what do I know for certain? And then maybe have you followed up with another question? Well, how do I really know what I know? Uh, if you were to consider the source of all that you know, you would perhaps realize quite quickly uh, that the great majority uh, of what you know uh, you know because you believe it on the authority of someone else. Most of you, for instance, have not been, I presume, to the uh, country of Madagascar. But uh, you do not doubt it is there. Uh, most of you have not seen uh, your own brain. But I trust that most of you believe still it's there. Most of you uh, believe that there was such a thing as the Revolutionary War or the War for Independence in the 18th century, but none of you lived through those years. Most of what you believe is based on the authority of someone else. Someone who's been there, someone who's seen something, and someone who has recorded what they've seen and heard and written it down for others to know. This is true. We all trust someone on authority. And the question, of course, for us is, who do you trust? And whose word do you live by in actual fact? So this morning we want to think about all that we believe about the Christian life and consider the foundation for what we believe about God, about ourselves, about sin, about Christ, about salvation, about the Christian life, eternal life, where we came from, what it all means, where we're going. Uh, and where shall we stand together? That is, where will we look to as a church as solid ground beneath our feet? Uh, what will, in other words, serve as our standard for all that we want to be and all that we want to do? Standard is, a, is simply a rule or a measure, a norm, uh, that which by uh, something by which our life is measured, something we you know we um, we compare it to. For some, their standard and their foundation is is their own thoughts, and uh, if they can't, uh, if we can't process it ourselves, if we can't understand it ourselves, well, it can't be true. Uh, some have their standard being other people, whether it's people they watch uh, on the news or or friends. For some, that standard, that foundation is cultural expectations. Well, what does, what does it mean to uh, live as a Christian in America today? Well, what does the world tell me what, what I should do as a Christian? And so we want to ask that question. Where shall we stand? What will be uh, our foundation? 
Now, uh, when you have become a member of an OPC congregation, your first vow of church membership uh, goes like this. Do you believe the Bible, consisting of the Old and New Testaments, to be the Word of God and its doctrine of salvation to be the perfect and only true doctrine of salvation? So if you're a member of this church, uh, every person here needs to be concerned uh, about where they stand. And do they stand on this foundation. We live in a time, of course, when people are asking themselves the question, and some professing Christians are asking the question too, uh, is belief in the Bible, uh, you know, as our final authority? I mean, is that really important today? I mean, if you believe in Jesus, um, why do we need the Bible? Why do we need this word? I mean, if we believe in Jesus, um, you know, why do we need the scripture? Never mind that Jesus himself is the one who said, he lived by every word that proceeded from the mouth of God. Don't forget that. But, I mean, if we live in an age of science and human progress and technology, certainly we can't maintain uh, that the Bible is anything more than the words of men. You know, good words, but words. How can we do that today? So we want to look at this foundational text this morning, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. For us again, all Scripture... It's breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. The man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. The first thing we need to see here, the authority of the Word of God is not, is not limited, but complete. The authority of the Word of God is not limited, uh, but complete. Simply notice in your Bibles... Uh, page 996 in your Bibles. Notice, it is all Scripture. Or every Scripture. Not, not some Scripture. It is uh, all Scripture. Uh, not mm, most Scripture. Uh, it is all Scripture. Not just the Scripture we're familiar with, or we might know about. It's all Scripture, not our favorite Scripture. It's all Scripture, not just the Scripture in, in red highlight, if you have a red highlighted Bible. Uh, it's all Scripture, not just the New Testament. It's all Scripture, not just uh, the passages that we think speak to us. But in fact, it's, it's all Scripture. You get the idea. All here means every. It means, it means all. So God is telling us here that, that every portion of His Word uh, bears the divine stamp of approval. Now, what are the Scriptures? What's that word? Well, it's, it's the word writings. Uh, here specifically, it's referring to the Old Testament. Jesus speaks of scriptures, for instance, in Luke twenty four twenty seven. Then, beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he, that's Jesus, explained to them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. That would, be, that would have been great to be there. Later in verse 44 of Luke 24, that same chapter, Jesus said to them, These are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things which are written about me in the law of Moses... And the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And then he opened their minds. There's that word again. He opened their minds uh, to understand the scriptures, law, Moses, the prophets and the Psalms. That's what Paul is talking about here by the spirit. All of that scripture uh, is from God. You remember in Jesus sermon on the Mount, he reminds the crowds of people gathered there that he hadn't come to abolish the law or the prophets 
Uh, but he's come to fulfill them. And then he says, Matthew 5.18, For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass from the law until all is accomplished. You know this. I'm sure you've studied this before. When Jesus says smallest letter, he actually uses the word for the smallest letter in the Greek alphabet, iota. It's very small. Similar to the smallest letter in the Hebrew alphabet, the yod. Very small. And when he says the least stroke of a pen, he's really saying not a dot or a mark. In Hebrew, there are these very little marks, strokes, just a stroke of a pen, that can change the meaning of a word. And what Jesus says to your friends is that not one word will disappear from his law until all things are accomplished. Not one scripture, not one word will be lost. This is what is called in theology the verbal, that means words, the verbal plenary, that means complete, view of the authority of Scripture. It simply means, means every word, uh, the complete word, has divine authority. In Psalm 119.89, the psalmist writes, we sang it earlier, Forever, O Lord, your word is settled in heaven. This morning in adult education, we talked about how God is immutable. He does not change, and guess what? His word does not change either. It's settled in heaven. John 10.35, Jesus himself tells us that the scripture cannot be broken. 2 Samuel 22 tells us that the word of the Lord is flawless. Flawless. Deuteronomy 8 reminds us, man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. And of course, that's the very verse that's echoed by Jesus when, uh, when he's fasted 40 days and he's tempted by uh, the devil in the wilderness uh, uh, tempted with, with food, and, uh, and Jesus says, no, uh, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. And so you get the picture here from Scripture. God is trying to tell us something. He's trying to say that, that all Scripture, all Scripture is God-breathed and is profitable. And from the Lord Jesus, we realize that His Word, God's Word to us, is meant to be our food. That means that we are to think of it as something we are to, uh, we are to, we are to eat up, right? Digest. Every book, every writing, every psalm, every proverb, every history, every account, all of it, God's Word and God's people are meant to, meant to eat it up. And so that's why in 1 Peter 2, 2, uh, the Apostle Peter says to the church, uh, crave, crave like newborn infants. The pure spiritual milk. And he's talking there about that word that's been implanted in them. Crave it uh, like a newborn infant. I don't know if we got any infants up there, but like a newborn infant uh, craves uh, its mother's milk. That's how we are to think about the Word of God. And Jesus says it's, it's, it's our food. Um, you know how um, sometimes we might speak in our conversation, we might speak about uh, hanging. Have you ever used this expression? Uh, hanging on someone's every word. Have you ever used that expression? Um, that is, every word counts. Think about when a loved one is about to die. Oh, when a loved one's about to die, and you visit them, young or old, you go and, and, and do you go to talk a lot? No. You go and you want to hear. Every last word. 
Maybe you'll record it in a book. You'll say it to yourself when they've, when they've passed on to be uh, with the Lord. That's how it's meant to be uh, with the Word of God, with the Scripture. Now, you might say, well, wait a minute, that's the Old Testament that uh, is being spoken of here, Paul to Timothy. But what about Paul's letters himself? What about the, all these New Testament writings we have? What do you think of those? Uh, I mean, in his letters to the churches, some might say, obviously, well, Paul was simply writing his own words, what he thought best for his time. I mean, Paul was a great apostle, smart, knew a lot. He was fairly wise, no doubt. And no doubt his letters are important for us. But after all, it's, it's just Paul. I mean, Paul was an ordinary person like you or me. Surely God doesn't expect us to take Paul's word for it. Especially when he speaks about who to marry. Just had a... Beautiful wedding service yesterday. Husband and wife. But you know, there's professing Christians who say, we can't, I mean, when Paul talks about marriage in the New Testament, we can't really, I mean, that's not really for today. And so marriage can be for anyone, any two people. When Paul talks about how I should live, or when he talks about homosexuality, or when he talks about worship, or when he talks about elders and pastors in the church, well, that's just Paul. Oh. Well, listen to the Apostle Peter in 2 Peter 3.15. Reminding the Christians about the day of the Lord that is to come. He's, uh, Peter's trying to explain to them. Uh, they need not fear. God will, uh, God will keep uh, His promise. His word is faithful. Uh, he says this at the end of 2 Peter 3. 2 Peter 3.15 and 16. And count, he says to the church, count the patience of the Lord as salvation. It's a good thing God's patience, says Peter. Uh, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you, he's talking about the letters of Paul, according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters, when he speaks to them in these matters. Listen to what the Apostle Peter says. There are some things in them, and maybe you found this, there are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction, as they do, says the Apostle Peter by the Holy Spirit, as they do the other Scriptures. That is, the other writings. That is what the Apostle Paul referred to here as breathed out by God. The Apostle Peter says they do that with the Apostle Paul's writings too, which is just as much Scripture as anything you read in the Old Testament. The letters of Paul, some are twisting them around as they twist them around today. Some saying Paul contradicts himself. Some saying, uh, you know, Paul doesn't know what he's talking about. Uh, some people, says Peter, they're going to say that the only words in the Bible you need to be interested are those that get you to heaven. But the rest is all kind of secondary and you don't really need to be concerned about the rest of the words. Whether it's the creation of the world, the institution of marriage, who should be elders, pastors in the church, how you should treat your wife, how you should live as a family, what you do on the Lord's Day. None of that really matters. Only what matters in the Bible is what gets me to heaven. And if those are the words that are authoritative, okay. But the rest of those words, like Paul, well, not so much, you see. Well, the Apostle Peter tells us, no, no, the writings of Paul uh, are like the other Scriptures too. People twist those too. It's all Scripture, says Peter. It's all God's Word. It's all from God. These books written by ordinary men... Like you and I, yes, ordinary people, but not an ordinary word, because the Bible says that even as God chose these men to write His words, uh, this is how these words were written. Second Peter one twenty. Um, this is what we read, or not Second Peter one. Second uh, Peter one twenty. Yes, Second Peter one twenty. 
uh, where he's speaking about how uh, the writers that never wrote anything of their own interpretation, this is what he writes. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes. It's so important for us to hear from the Scripture itself. No prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of men, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Every word, all Scripture, uh, is from God. What does that mean from us? That the authority of God's Word is not limited but complete. That means, friends, that God Himself speaks to you on every page. Every line. Every word. Now, if He's speaking on every page, every line, every word, that means that for you and I, you want to read every page. Every line. Every word. Don't you? You want... You want to hear that word. This is where we rest. This is where we stand. Where questions are answered and where hope is found. Because it is not a limited authority. It is complete. Second thing uh, we need to see here is that the authority of the Word of God. Uh, why? Why is this so important? The, the whole, uh, every word? Uh, well, it's so important, of course, because the authority of the Word of God is based on its divine Author from where this word comes from. And notice uh, what we read here in Timothy. All Scripture, verse 16, all Scripture is uh, breathed out by God. The word there in Greek is theopanustos. God breathed or God's God's breath. Some uh, interpret that word. Confusing because it does not mean what we mean when we talk of a poet or a writer being inspired to write something. It's not that God has breathed something into Scripture, but that Scripture itself is breathed out by God. For instance, you may speak of being inspired, you know, to write something. I'm sure, uh, you know, this morning or today or tomorrow, uh, Brian Groot is going to be inspired. He's, he's now married, young married fella, and uh, he's full of, of love for his wife, and he's going to be inspired to write her some poetry. And he's going to write that this, well, sorry, Brian, but he may write that this week, no pressure, but he might write some poetry, and he, he's been inspired to do it. You, you might inspire someone to write a beautiful poem or to do something. Um, you were their inspiration, but the poem belongs to Brian. Right? It's Brian's poem. He wrote it. Um, some people view the Bible that way. God moved Isaiah. God moved Paul. You know, something happened in Paul's life. It inspired him. And so he writes out a letter. It's not that God gave Paul inspiration to write his own words. What Paul is saying is that uh, what Paul wrote was, in fact, the breathed out words of God. You know, it's one thing for Brian to write a poem. It's another thing for Brian's poem to be the very words of God. Right? And, and, and Allie would look at that poem a little differently if it was from God. That's what Paul's saying. 
It's not, something, it's not that something's breathed into the Bible or spirated into the Bible. It's that the Word itself uh, is breathed out by God. Now, somehow, Second Peter tells us how, by the Holy Spirit of God, God so used men to write His words that what we hold uh, in our hands is not simply Moses' ideas about creation. It is not Isaiah's thoughts on the Messiah. Think about this. It's not Matthew's hopes about the kingdom or Paul's insights into the life of the church. No, the Bible says we have, we have the very words of God, the breath of God, as he spoke through Moses, as he spoke through Isaiah, as he spoke through Paul and Peter. In fact, friends, the Scripture is so closely related to the breath of God that there are times in the Bible when the Scripture itself, the book itself, takes on the, the characteristics of, of, of a person, of the person of God. Romans 9, 17, listen to this. Romans 9, 17 says, For the Scripture says to Pharaoh. Or Galatians 3, 8. The Scripture foreseen... Hold on. The Scripture foreseen that God would justify the Gentiles by faith. The Scripture foreseen? Holy people. You would never say, for instance, of the Encyclopedia Britannica, the Encyclopedia Britannica uh, foreseen the fall of the Berlin Wall. What? People foresee. Person foresees. God foresees. That's why B.B. Warfield so wonderfully pointed out many years ago in the Bible when it says, Scripture says, it's the same as God says. But you may say, listen, I wasn't there to see the things the Bible says. How can this be true? How can I believe Simply on authority. You know, because someone tells me to believe it. Or the Bible tells me to believe it. Well, C.S. Lewis had some helpful things to say in this regard. C.S. Lewis said this. Helpful. Believing things, he says, on authority only means believing them because you've been told them by someone you think trustworthy. Like there is a country called Madagascar. And then Lewis said this, 99, think about this, and you, you test yourself today, 99% of the things you believe are believed, said Lewis, on authority. I believe, he says, there's such a place as New York. Um, I could not prove by abstract reasoning that there is such a place. I believe it because reliable people have told me so. I've been to New York, it's beautiful, Clive Staples. Oh, okay, there's New York. The ordinary person, said Lewis, believes in the solar system, atoms, and the circulation of the blood on authority. Because the scientists say so. And then he says this, every, every historical statement is believed on authority. None of us has been or seen the Norman Conquest, the defeat of the Spanish Armada, but we believe them simply because people who did see them have left writings that tell us about them. In fact, it says it was on authority. A person, this is the important thing, a person who bought at authority and other things, that is, how can I believe the Bible simply on authority? If someone balks at that, says Lewis, as some people do in religion, they would have to be content to know nothing all his life. You know, someone says to you, I can't believe this Bible you believe. You believe that just on authority. And you can say to him, well, wait a minute. Pretty much everything you believe is based 
on the authority of someone else. You already believe on authority. You're already trusting the word of someone else. The question simply is, who do you trust and where do you stand? What is your foundation for for all that you know and how you live? But let's admit together, friends, this morning that it's still hard to believe. Not because the evidence is not there. I mean, the Bible tells us really on every page, this is the word of God, thus spoke the Lord and so forth. Some of you here believe it uh, with all your heart. You know this is the Word of God. And you're willing to live your life by it. You're a disciple of Jesus. That's why you come to worship, because He's worthy of your praise. Worthy of your time. He's worthy of your service. You believe this is His Word. You're a member of this church. You've taken vows of membership. You've stood before God and His people. And you vowed before God's people. You believe this to be the Word of God. And you're entrusting all you are to the God who spoke it. Some of you here this morning perhaps believe that some of it, some of it is God's word. But you're not sure about the rest. The Apostle Paul says all Scripture. And some of you here may not believe it at all. To you, this is just another book. Perhaps it's a closed book, an irrelevant book, a book that doesn't take, uh, doesn't give you any kind of interest like, you know, if you read uh, the latest sports score or the news feed or the stock market report. Oh, it's hard to believe, isn't it? That it's the very breathed out word. Uh, but you know what? The Bible goes further. The Bible doesn't say it's hard to believe this truth. The Bible says it's impossible to believe it. That is... Impossible to believe it on our own strength or in our own sinful nature. The Bible says, in fact, we won't understand without the Spirit. We won't read it without the Holy Spirit. Uh, We won't desire to live our lives by it without the Holy Spirit. And it will not be the standard of our life upon which we stand without God working in us through the Holy Spirit. Uh, you'll remember 1 Corinthians 2.14, the Apostle Paul says some, some pretty amazing things about who really understands the truth. He says this, the natural person, that is, in our own human nature as we're born, the natural person does not, as a matter of fact, does not accept the things of the Spirit of God for their folly to him. Foolishness. It's like preaching. Foolishness of preaching to the natural heart. And, says Paul, not only does he not accept it, he's not able... He's not able to understand them because they're spiritually discerned. We confess this in the Westminster Confession of Faith. That not only is it hard to believe, but it's impossible to believe it's breathed out by God. Unless the Holy Spirit is at work. Is what we confess. says this, first chapter of the Confession of Faith, fifth section. We may, we may be moved and induced by the testimony of the church to an high and reverent esteem of the Holy Scripture. So you may have grown up at Faith OPC and the church keeps telling you this is the Word of God and so you, you say, yeah, okay, I think that's probably true. But you, you're not quite... And the, the heavenliness of the matter, the, the efficacy of the doctrine, the majesty of the style, the consent of all the parts, it all works together. The scope of the whole, which is to give glory to God, 
full discovery it makes of uh, the only way of man's salvation, the many other incomparable excellencies and the entire perfection thereof are all arguments whereby it doth abundantly evidence itself to be the Word of God. And so you can be a, uh, you look at all the parts of Scripture and you say, oh, this, it's, it's beautiful, it's majestic, it's all one story, and uh, it all seems to make sense, and it's so majestic. Uh, and so I think it's God's Word. Yet we confess this, yet notwithstanding all that evidence, our full persuasion and assurance of the infallible, that is unbreakable, unstoppable, unfailable, Truth, the assurance of that, and the divine authority thereof is from the inward work of the Holy Spirit, bearing witness by and with the Word in our hearts. Oh, it's not only hard to believe, the Bible says. It's impossible to believe it's the breathed out Word of God, unless, of course, the Holy Spirit of God is at work in your life. Drawing you that you open its page and say, This is the Word of God. I can trust it and I can stand on it. And I can base my life and all I am and all I do upon its every sentence. So the authority of the Word of God, quickly, is not limited but complete. It's an authority that's based on the fact that God Himself is the divine author of its pages. And lastly, uh, the authority of the Word of God uh, is sufficient. Uh, sufficient for all. It's sufficient for all people, you see. Notice what the Apostle Paul uh, says. Uh, all scriptures breathed out by God, profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Man of God, often in the Old Testament, referring to a prophet. But here, by extension, we're talking about anyone uh, who's seeking to live for the Lord as a prophet, priest, and king, those who are in Christ. Uh, that, that man of God, that woman of God, complete and equipped for every good work through this Word. Did you ever think to yourself, how am I going to live the Christian life? How am I going to deal with this at work? You know, How am I going to... Uh, how am I going to deal with this situation? Oh, I'm suffering from this, 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 this problem and this problem. Where am I going to look to for help and counsel and advice and, and wisdom? And we go, friends, we go everywhere else in our country today for all the answers to all these questions except, oh, except to the one place where God says you'll find it. Every, every good work or by principle or precept, it's here. The help is here. The hope is here. The standard's here. This is, where we, this is where we stand. This is where we look to. This is how we're equipped. Uh, you might want to think about a horse, for instance. We had friends from Kentucky here, didn't we, for the wedding. So let's think about horses for a minute. Um, all scriptures breathed out by God, profitable for teaching. Let's say you get a, a horse, a wild horse. Uh, you can teach that horse some things uh, to know uh, how to behave as a horse uh, in a corral or whatever it is. So you need, you need teaching. Uh, you need reproof. Sometimes you need to rebuke a horse. Right? So let's say a horse is running around and uh, all of a sudden thinks, oh, it's fun to jump over this fence and, and run down the highway. And you rebuke that horse. No, you can't do that. That's not good. Sometimes you need to correct a horse. You're riding the horse. The horse wants to go this way. Uh, You've got to correct the horse. You bring it, you bring it, you bring it, you bring it back. So it's going straight. And that horse, 
If that horse is going to run in the Kentucky Derby, if that horse is race to run, you need to train the horse. Train the horse to run. That's what Scripture does for the believer. Teaches them. Oh, what does it mean to know Christ? To love Christ? To be in Christ? Uh, it, uh, uh, it reproves, it rebukes us. Say, no, Peter. No, no. That is not what life in Christ looks like. Come back here. Corrects us. Uh, I think this is the best way. Uh, you know, the man's ways. Everywhere we go, we think it's right. Until, of course, until of course, the Lord corrects us and says, No, that's not the way to go. Come back on the straight path. Oh, and that word trains us. It, it molds us, shapes us, and we grow in grace. And in the knowledge of Christ, we train for, for, for righteousness. We understand righteousness better in all its ways. This is what, friends, Scripture does. This is what the Word of God does. This is what the, the breathed out Word of God is for. It is profitable for you. You don't believe it is. You don't believe, I don't believe it's as profitable for me as, I, as, as, as it really is. I don't. Because if I did, I would know uh, that I would always go to this Word first for help rather than the Word of men. Often we do not see the immediate use of Scripture uh, we don't know what, maybe you might say, well, wait a minute, what does Leviticus have to do with my life? Well, we're going to find out from Pastor Andrew. Uh, you know, what does this passage have? Well, maybe it doesn't have any use. But just because we don't see the immediate use of Scripture does not mean there is no use. You want an example from a different realm? For instance, what would you think of somebody who said confidently to you this? You know, this telephone, this telephone business has too many shortcomings to be seriously considered as a means of communication. The device is inherently of no value to us. Telephone. That was Western Union Telegram Service, Internal Memo, 1876. No one's going to want a telephone. Uh, how about this? From Lord Kelp, President of the Royal Society in Britain, 1895. Heavier than air, flying machines are impossible. Lord or this, the wireless music box has no imaginable commercial value. Who would pay for a message sent to nobody in particular? That was a business associate in response to being urged to invest in the radio in the 1920s. Ah, who's going to listen to that? I said, said Thomas Watson, chairman of IBM. I think there's a world market for maybe hmm, five computers. Computers in the future may weigh, oh, this is exciting news. Uh, computers in the future may weigh no more than, get this, 1.5 tons. Oh, wouldn't that be great? I've traveled the length and breadth of this country, talked with the best people, and I can assure you that data processing is a fad that won't last over one year. The editor in charge of Prentice Hall, 1957. Or we don't like their sound. Guitar music is on the way out. That was Decker recording, rejecting the Beatles. And this is my favorite. But what? But what said the engineer, the Advanced Computing Systems Division of IBM, 1968? But what he said, what is it good for? He spoke about the microchip. We laugh, as we should laugh, because men have been proved wrong. Remember? They were saying, 
That is impossible. No, it is possible. Men have been proved wrong, and we must not think that what is profitable is limited, here's the thing, is limited to what our human reason can presently understand. Because if we live by the words of men, inevitably we will go down the wrong path. We need instead, as Paul would urge us, to humble ourselves before the Word of God as the truth of God which will endure forever and it will remain profitable for all disciples of Jesus for all time. There's a reason at yard sales you see uh, boxes and boxes of old Encyclopedia Britannicas. Nobody wants to read them anymore. That will never happen, you see, with the Word of God because the Bible says the Word settled in the heavens. Its uh, authority is complete. Every word, every line breathed out by the living God. And therefore we know, oh boy, I want to read this word. I want to get myself in the place of worship where that word is going to be preached. I want to get myself in some kind of growth group or Bible study and where it's going to be studied uh, because I, I want to hear those words. Because I know every one of them is profitable for me and says Paul to Timothy, we don't have time for this. Not only equips you for every good work, but you know what? That word that you've learned from a child makes you wise for salvation in Jesus Christ. Oh, we need to listen to that word. Let's pray together. Oh, Heavenly Father, we pray that you would help us as a congregation, Lord, to know where, where we stand and, and where uh, we shall stand uh, together. Oh, Lord, help us not to be seeking a foundation or a standard in the words of men which come and go and fail, pass away tomorrow. But Lord, help us to stand upon that which is already settled in the heavens, will endure forever and will never pass away because we know it's the word that comes to us from the very mouth of God. It's that word. We want to know better together as a congregation. It's that word we know by your Spirit will transform us. It's that word which will point us to salvation in Jesus Christ, our only hope. And it's that word which will guide us forward to be your faithful servants as we are taught, as we are reproved, as we are corrected, and as we are trained in righteousness for your glory and for our eternal good. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.